This is the Paycheck to Daycheck Reselling Podcast. I'm Liz. And I'm Ashley. Together, we have been making money online collectively for over 10 years. Our mission is to help you start, learn, and grow a reselling business and to inspire you to turn your paycheck into a daycheck. The world is changing and we want to help you change with it. All right, welcome back to the Paycheck to Daycheck. This is episode number eight. And in this episode, we are going to be talking about how and where to find items to resell. So if you have been listening, we have been going over supplies that you're going to need, kind of the basics of starting a reselling business. And in this one, we really want to give you some ideas of where you can find items to resell. The first place that we highly recommend everyone look, especially if you're just starting out or think that you might want to, you know, start getting your feet wet into the world of reselling is look for some items around your house. If you have kids, look through their toys that they have discarded two weeks after you've purchased them. Um, Toys are a great thing to start reselling. Clothes go through your closet, your partner's closet, your kids' closets. There's always like clothing that we haven't worn in, you know, a year or so. And the chances of us wearing it are slim. Start with that, some shoes, um, different electronics, even books. There's so many different items that we have in our houses that we just... They're there and we see them, but we just never use them. So you can clear up some clutter around your house and make some money while you're at it. Yeah, I think that's what Casey and I like to do. So if we go out and we buy like a new shirt or whatever, we'll look in our closet and be like, all right, since we are putting a shirt in our closet, let's take a shirt out. And so I I like to go through our closet every once in a while and look for items where I'm like, ooh, like it's hiking season Let's look for all of our hiking shirts that we don't wear anymore because everyone knows that you accumulate stuff so fast and what better way to make extra money than to sell the things that are just sitting there. I think I learned that when we full-time RV'd and we got rid of everything in our five-bedroom home in Tempe, Arizona. Now I look back and I don't even know what we even owned because it was (laughs) just stuff. And that's just a good place to look. I think it's everyone can do it. And it really is helpful when you are first starting to resell. You can do it in the comfort of your own home. Go around, look the item up on the platform that you're choosing, look it up on Amazon, look it up on eBay, Macari, Poshmark, and kind of learn how to look up items. And then it will help you when you go out to other places to look for inventory that you already kind of have that knowledge of things that are selling. Yeah, definitely. Another pro to this strategy of looking for inventory in your home is there's no cost of goods unless you count like the original purchase price. But we don't really count that. (laughs) Uh, Like Brian had, my boyfriend Brian had a pair of Merrill sneakers that he purchased, I don't know, maybe six months ago. He thought they fit him really well and he wore them once and they ended up like hurting his foot or something. He told me this morning, he's like, you know, you can take those out of the closet and list them if you want. I'm not going to wear them. And obviously we can't take them back. Just going to sell them on eBay. You know, that's a perfect example. Like we did pay for them initially, but we can't take them back. We don't just want them to sit there. So might as well make some of our money back. You don't have to spend any money. There's no expense to start with items around your house. 
that kind of goes into the next place that you can look, which is Facebook Marketplace, Craigslist, offer up some of those local marketplaces where you can find items for free. There's people that post things that just don't have the time to, I don't know how they don't have the time, but maybe they're just lazy and they don't want to go and drop it off at Goodwill or they don't want to, they don't want to throw it away. So they want to find somebody who needs it. People are giving away free things all the time. I follow the flea market flippers. They were actually, well, Casey and I were on their podcast and they put an Instagram reel out where they literally flipped over a thousand dollars worth of profit on free items that they would just find like Holy on God. Facebook marketplace, which is incredible. So if you're you know listening and you're thinking, well, I don't have a big budget to spend on the cost of goods, Facebook marketplace, keep looking. You can put your settings. I know on, on Facebook marketplace to, if something comes up and it says free, you can choose like certain words you can be notified when people are posting for free items. Another little tip to go along with that. I've joined some uh, really wealthy neighborhood like garage sale sites on Facebook and I follow them pretty religiously. And uh, they like these people, they just throw out the like put up curb alerts. There's brand new stuff out there, bags of clothing. It's wild. So you know, if you live like near kind of a wealthy area, like make sure you kind of look on those pages too specifically because you're good. They just throw out the craziest stuff. Yeah. And that kind of goes into out here. We have what's called bulk trash days where in certain neighborhoods, like with HOAs, they have a certain time of year and then sometimes multiple times a year where they're like, okay, we're going to come by and we're going to pick up your bulk trash. My sister's neighborhood does it. You can go to these neighborhoods and literally pick up things on the curb that people are trying to get rid of. And it's free. Like it doesn't cost anything. And like you said, people throw out the nicest things. If you have uh, colleges near your town, look at the end of each semester. We specifically in my area have a lot of kids that come here from other countries and then they go home on their breaks and they just clean out their dorms and anything that they don't want or need or can take with them, they just put in the dumpsters, put out to the curb, whatever. There'll be anything from brand new sneakers in the box to clothing and watches I found, kitchen stuff. It's it's wild. So keep an eye on that stuff for sure. The next thing that we wanted to talk about is heading to the thrift store. So I think everyone usually graduates from, you know, starting looking around their house, maybe Facebook marketplace pickups, free items. Then they generally work up the courage to head to the thrift store. This is like a great place to find inventory for relatively cheap to resell. Liz, I think you thrift a little bit more than I do. So Oh, I am like addicted to thrifting. It's really bad. Like if I like I'm twitching right now because I haven't been to a thrift store in probably maybe five days. But Casey and I love thrift stores because it's the thrill of the hunt. It's so exciting to go in. The cost of goods is a lot lower than if you're going into like a retail store like Walmart or Ross. You never know what you're gonna find. I mean people do they just put stuff out on the curb or put it up on Facebook Marketplace for free, they donate it to these thrift stores. Goodwill is kind of our main sourcing place because we've got a few so close to us so we're not having to drive very far. We can hit a bunch in you know a few hours. 
but the cost of goods there is kind of going up. There are a lot of smaller thrift stores. When we went up to buy a truck the other day, we went up to Prescott, Arizona, and they had smaller thrift stores. And we noticed that the prices were a lot lower than here in the Phoenix area with Goodwill. So really, you just have to kind of go to Google Maps, search thrift store, try a few of the smaller ones. Sometimes you can you know, hit the gold mine and, and there's going to be a thrift store that the prices are $2 for a shirt or a couple dollars for pants. We found at that one thrift store, books were 25 cents. We're at Goodwill. They can be up to $4 a piece. Wow. You have to go out and you have to kind of figure out which thrift stores in your area have the lowest prices, have the best merchandise, figure out when they're putting out merchandise. That's always a tip that I give people. We know in our area when they're going to put out the merchandise. And those are normally the days that we're going to hit those Goodwills because we know that they're putting out the, the newest things. I'll find Casey going through the carts. I'm always like so nervous to go through the carts because I'm like, am I supposed to be going through the cart? Like they're bringing out all the stuff. Like, are they going to let me look through it? And then I see Casey just digging through. He doesn't care. He's like, I'm looking for that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. When I was doing a lot more thrifting, I used to uh, drive an hour after work on Fridays up to this little church thrift store that was it was about 30 minutes north of where I lived. So I would drive past where I lived on my way home from work and head to this little church. And they're only open Friday nights from six to eight. And then Saturdays from like eight to 11 or something like that. And it's run by all these adorable, super sweet little old ladies and nothing is over $2. It's crazy. So I got all my inventory for a dollar to $2 when I was thrifting clothes and shoes and stuff like that. And I'd walk out of there with a couple garbage bags full. They have so much inventory. They asked me if I wanted to come like other days to go through stuff before they put it out. But I just didn't have the time at that point in my life. It was my gold mine, basically my little honey spot, you know, honey hole spot. Um, so if you find, especially those churches, they have um, bag sales around here. There's a couple churches that do that a couple times a year. Some of them have like basement thrift stores. You know, you just have to look around and get creative and talk to people, see where they, where they go thrifting. Yeah. And if we ever mention on this podcast about the Goodwill bins, yeah. that's another option as well. Usually in the bigger cities, Goodwill gets so much product. Like mm-hmm. They have so many donations. Sometimes it doesn't even get put out because they just have so many, especially here in Apache Junction. We have a huge older population. We have a lot of people that come, they're called snowbirds. So they come during the winter. And when they get rid of their stuff, usually the thrift stores are just overpopulated with product. And that's the best time to be out here. So we have a tag system. So every Friday is a new colored tag. And that colored tag is 50% off. And on Thursday, it's a dollar. And then they pull all those colored tags that don't sell. And they send them to the Goodwill bins. And the bins, it's all by pound. So depending on where you are, it could be maybe 60 cents per pound. And so they bring out these big bins filled with product and you go through them. And I've only been to the bins in Phoenix twice. We definitely brought gloves. I think I would wear a mask now. They're definitely a little bit more competitive. We went to one, I remember, in Albuquerque. And the worker, this was back when we were doing books. So we were selling books on Amazon via FBA. And we went to the Albuquerque one and the worker was like, you see that guy right there? If he gives you problems, let me know. He's really aggressive. And we've had to ask him to leave before. 
and people will, I mean, there are certain people that will get kind of aggressive. It's kind of like a higher pace. You know, they bring out the bin and everybody rushes to them and you're just trying to grab what you can, but you're trying to like do a good job of looking at it. But that's another option. If you're looking for a lower cost of goods, the Goodwill bins are definitely a good option. Just like I said, make sure you wear gloves. Definitely. I went once. There's one in Connecticut. It's a couple hours from where I live. So I went once there and it was super dusty. I think it was in like 2018 or 2019 when I went really dusty. I wish I had like a mask with me or something because my allergies were on fire that day. So I was sneezing. My eyes were running. It was crazy, but I didn't want to leave. You know, I was, I was in it for a couple hours, definitely had gloves with me and like a little uh, backpack. So I didn't have to bring my person and I could just like wear my, my little like backpack thing. And that had my cell phone, my wallet, hand sanitizer, all that good stuff in it. I should have brought a snack because you don't realize how hungry you're going to get there. Yeah. It's like an all day event. So if you're going to go, because in the Phoenix one, they will, after a certain amount of time, they'll actually make you go to the other side of the store and then Mm -hmm. they'll transition out the bins. So they'll bring like eight bins to the back and bring eight bins back out that are all new product. So it really is kind of like a longer day event. And for us, it's probably a good 40 minutes, 40, 45 minutes from us. So if we're going to go, like we'll probably bring one of our vans, either our camper van or our (laughs) flip wagon and make a a day out of it. But we've been talking about going back just because we've seen so many people be successful with finding things. And a lot of people think, well, it's going to be just junk in the Goodwill bins. But it's not true because, like I said, sometimes they don't even bring that those items out on the floor because they just have such an overstock where they need to try to get rid of that inventory. All right. So another great place that you can get inventory and hopefully from for free, maybe uh, is friends and family. My grandma used to give me stuff to sell for her all the time before she passed away. Most of it wasn't great stuff. I did sell some of it for her. Brian's dad gives me stuff that he finds all the time. And then uh, he's like, you know, after a certain amount of stuff, he's like, ah, just take us out to dinner. Ah, just buy me a steak dinner. So I don't know if it's actually working out for him or for me. Sometimes you can get good stuff from your friends or family. And I also know a couple of people that run their business on consignment. They started out by having their friends or family send them inventory. It's mostly clothes. Clothing, I believe, and shoes, some accessories as well, maybe. So they send them this person boxes of stuff and then she sells it for them and they get like a 60-40 split. Uh, and it works really well for her. She has built her entire business on that. The plus side is you have no upfront inventory cost. And you have new stuff coming in all the time. And now she has a whole list of clients that she works with. It's really cool. So I think it is good that you let people know that you're starting to resell, especially your friends and family. My sister will give me items because I know my sister. She loves like coach purses and name brand things. And she she likes high quality items. Recently, I sold a lot of her three coach purses for like 140 bucks. And they sold like really quick. We have kind of done like the consignment thing. Cousin's husband, he bought a bunch of items from an online auction. And so here's the only thing that I think is kind of tough is the items were probably not going to be items that we would have picked up. So you have to think about that. If people are giving you things to resell, the only 
con is that you haven't done the research to see if those items would actually sell. He yeah. gave us a bunch of big old ink cartridges mm -hmm. and they're just not selling. And some of them have been dried up. And so then we're getting returns, things like that. I like the clothing idea because I think clothing is a lot easier to kind of go through and figure out. But like the electronics and ink and stuff like that, that's just a little tough because yeah. some of it is just the boxes weren't good. They look like they were damaged. And it just was more, it's more of a pain for us to have to do that. And they're bigger items. So they're taking up a lot of space in our outbuilding. They're taking up almost an entire storage shelf. In terms of consignment, we really haven't had a really good experience with that. And I'm glad that somebody has, but also you need to think not just the 60, 40, but you're also making money on that and you'll eventually have to pay taxes on that. Yeah. So that's another thing to consider that you might have somebody that gives you enough inventory where you're selling like $3,000 of their things, then you're going to have to also pay taxes on that. So that's something that a lot of people don't factor in. So the 60, 40, I mean, I would, I would probably do 50, 50 just because yeah. of, you know, the taxes and you know, it's time too. It takes time to get the stuff, photograph it, list it. And you don't know if somebody's sending it to you. You really don't know what they're going to send you. The next uh, place that we wanted to talk with you guys about is doing online arbitrage. So you actually don't have to leave your house at all to be able to do this, which is really nice. But you do have to kind of have like the desire to sit at your computer for a decent amount of time to be able to find these deals, which I do not. <laughs> Me either. Well, that's actually if you're listening for the first time, that's how Ashley and I met was in an online arbitrage leads group where we were given leads, the link to them, and we would purchase the items, which online arbitrage to me was very, very helpful during COVID when we couldn't go out and do retail arbitrage, which is the opposite where you're going to retailers, you're finding the products in store, purchasing them. Online arbitrage, you're relying on leads that you get from people or you're relying on software that kind of scrubs all these different websites and they have the software to tell you, okay, this item is going to be $15. They sell for X amount and you'll make this much in profit. So online arbitrage is a lot more technical. It, I think it takes a lot more time to figure out, you know, which leads group is good one, which leads lists are good because people do sell leads lists. To me, it just kind of, it's become way too competitive. People are figuring out how to find them on their own. So you don't really need the leads group or lists. It's one of my least favorite ways to find inventory. Yeah, I agree. It was very helpful during the pandemic. But um, now that we're able to, you know, go out and leave our homes and everything, I guess if you have a huge Amazon business and you don't have time to source other ways, it is really convenient that you can just order stuff online and reorder your, you know, refillables. Like that is very convenient and it's a great way to build a business. But if it doesn't bring you joy doing it that way, then maybe it's not the best way for you to run your business. But I mean, I definitely have done it before. I still order stuff online every once in a while if I come across a great item, but I don't rely on that to build my business anymore. I, I like the thrill of the hunt, but I love retail arbitrage. I started my business with thrifting and now I mostly do retail arbitrage. So we'll talk about that. So I go into all different kinds of stores, places like Target, Walmart, CVS, Walgreens, Rite Aid, grocery stores, pharmacies, hardware stores, pretty much 
anywhere that I think I can find an item to flip, then I just walk right on in and start looking at stuff. <laughs> so that's what brings me joy. That's what I like looking for is these items that are already, they're prepackaged. They have a barcode 99% of the time. They're easy to look up. You know what you're getting. Some of them have expiration dates. Some of them don't. It's just really easy to photograph this stuff. Sometimes, you know, on Amazon, you don't even have to photograph it. And then listing it is also very easy as well. Most of those items are already in like the eBay catalog. A lot of the required items specifics will just like automatically fill for you once you add in the title and everything. So with the retail arbitrage that you like to do, are you going off of just kind of what you know sells? Do you have a list of stuff? Do you buy a, a leads list for retail arbitrage or like how do you know what you're looking for? Because we were in that um, leads group for a while, I just kind of learned what to start looking for. And I'm sure I miss a ton of stuff, you know, but once you have an idea of the things that sell in different categories and like new things come out or one big tip that I have when you're doing retail arbitrage is look for the gaps. So if you're walking down a toy aisle, like let's say in Target and you find like a huge gap in some specific item it might be like the hot toy right now, you know, or maybe there's a supply issue. So if you look that up, see what it's selling for. If it's my, you know, I have a, a inventory like criteria that I stick to. So I know if I'm going to buy the item or not. Um, yeah, look for the gaps. If you find things are out of stock consistently, and then you happen to come across it at a different store, maybe it'll be worthwhile for you to pick that up and flip it on a different platform. Yeah, we actually kind of started more with retail arbitrage when we were doing Amazon and online arbitrage, actually. Mm -hmm. Casey would go to the REI garage and online and, and find product that was heavily discounted and we would buy a bunch of it and ship it in Amazon. So we did kind of do a little bit of online arbitrage. And then, you know, we really got into going to Ross and finding toys. And yeah. I love their like beauty section, finding some of the hair stuff that is discontinued and people are looking for. And it's easy to scan. I mean, on eBay, you don't want to just rely on scanning an item. You want to actually type in what it is to give you a, a better idea because not everybody in it puts the barcode in the listing. So if you scan the item, it might come up with 10 that are active, but really there's like 50 because, you know, 40 other sellers didn't put the barcode in. Do a little bit more research when you're out with retail arbitrage and making sure that you're not just scanning the barcode, that you're looking the item up. I do like retail arbitrage. You know, when we look at our items, we just have a lot more success doing thrift stores and trying to keep our cost of goods lower. I still go into Ross. I still try to find items. Our Ross is just not very good. We went in there the other day. I think there was one pair of Adidas shoes in the women's section. We had a lot of success with shoes, like going into Ross and, and reselling shoes. And now it's, it's a little bit more difficult, but you can still you know, find a lot of inventory with retail arbitrage. And especially with having the barcodes to scan, you can at least see if the item is something good to resell. And going back to the scanning versus typing the item in, I always scan the barcode first just to give myself an idea of like what the item is selling for. And then if I think I might be interested in purchasing that item to resell, then I'll go through and I'll just type the title in, you know, the way that it comes up when it's listed to see how many are listed versus how many are sold. Because like you mentioned before, only 10 people might've put the actual barcode number in the UPC, but there's like 50 of them listed. And if only five of them have sold, it looks pretty good as a sell-through rate if there's 10 listed and five have sold. 
But if 50 are actually listed and only five have sold, then I'm probably going to think twice about purchasing that. All right. So the next one, let's talk about handmade items, which I just went to my cousin's baby shower on Sunday and they had these cute little bars of soap that they actually bought on Amazon. Somebody had made like tiny bars of soap and wrapped it and it said from our shower or yeah, from my shower to yours. And it was really cute. And I opened it up and the label had somebody's website, their Amazon store and all that. And so that's just, and they definitely got them on Amazon. So that's another way. And a lot of people don't realize that Amazon does have like an Amazon homemade section where you can sell things. Also Etsy is a really good platform. If you're thinking of selling something with a friend that makes honey, there's a lot of opportunity if there's something that you're really good at could be even, I don't know, cornhole boards, or maybe you make jewelry. If you're really creative and crafty, which I'm not, I don't know about you, but I'm not, I'm not that person. But uh, yeah, if you have a, you know, a good amount of talent and be able to make things, there's definitely some profit that you can make in selling those items. Let's talk about flea markets. This is actually how I got my start into the whole world of reselling. Uh, when I was really, really young, my parents had an antique store and they flipped old stuff. Um, so we would go on the weekends every Saturday and every Sunday for years. And we would go to these two different flea markets and set up at like, oh my gosh, at like five o'clock in the morning. It was the worst when we were younger. We did not want to get out of bed. We were like still in our pajamas. <laughs> Mom and dad are dragging us out of the house putting us in the truck. So we go to the flea markets and then we, you know, get some breakfast and walk around and look at all the, everyone else's old stuff. <laughs> and uh, they loved it. They would buy stuff sometimes there to flip as well, or to put into like the antique store. And that was pretty cool. Um, they used to clean out houses and sell stuff, you know, in the shop and at different flea markets as well. So that's a a really good place to find stuff. There's a lot of negotiation that happens there too. So if you like that kind of thing, you might be able to get some really good deals. Yeah, there's a couple of flea markets out here. Right now it's summer, so it's over 100 degrees. So I really don't have those. But during the winter, there are a lot of flea markets out here. And that's one place that Casey and I definitely want to try because we've heard about that. That's just not been a place where we have thought about going and finding inventory to resell. But now that we, you know, we have our outbuilding, we have a lot of space, like we can go to places like that and find like the bigger items that people are trying to get rid of. And we really didn't get turned on to flea markets until we were on that flea market flipper podcast. They used to do sourcing and find smaller items. And then they were like, the light bulb went off for them. They're like, well, we're by a lot of flea markets. What if we find these bigger items that we can flip for a higher profit? So that's kind of their whole mindset was if we can find five items that can profit $100 to $500, well, that's less work than having to go in and find 50 articles of clothing that you need to resell to make that profit. Right now in certain parts of the country, flea markets are probably going on. We're in Arizona Probably not a good place to start looking for inventory. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what about garage sales and estate sales? Do you guys have those during the summer or is that more of a winter thing for you guys? It's definitely more of a winter thing, but people still have them. I mean, when we were going to full-time RV, we had our garage sale in August. Mm-hmm. It was like the end of August and it was 110, 115 out. But the same concept, you have to start them you know, really early. They still have them out here. 
It's just there's not as many. What's common here are community-wide garage sales. Those are usually in the winter months or once it starts getting a little warmer, like February, March, they have them out here. But it's still a good place when you're in Arizona to start. State sales, those are year-round, very common kind of where we live. Since we have an older population, there are a lot of estate sales. There's a lot of estate companies here. I know there's one pretty close to us where I believe they take the inventory and they bring it to like their storefront and then they advertise that there's an estate sale. So you go in there. We haven't gone to one, but another thing on our list of places to go, we just, we always just go to Goodwill. Like by the time we go get done with Goodwill, we've got bags and bags of stuff. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we need to get this listed. But in Casey's eyes, if you're a reseller, you want to have a lot of inventory on hand. I know a lot of people say, well, you shouldn't have your, your death pile or your money pile piling up. In the end, you don't want to ever run out of inventory. And I think when COVID hit, that was scary for us because we kind of were stuck with nothing and we don't ever want to be in that position again. So there's nothing wrong with going out and getting a lot of inventory and garage sales are perfect. I remember we, I went with my mother-in-law and we stopped at this house and there was like a Harley Davidson Monopoly and the guy like had the eBay listing, like he printed it out and it said like how much it was going for on eBay. And I'm like, all of that effort, why didn't you just list it on eBay? If you can get that, just list it. So you will have those garage sales where people think their their stuff is more valued than what it is, but there's still plenty of garage sales where people, you can actually get a good deal and you can wheel and deal with them. I mean, you can say, if I get all these, will, will you do 10 bucks? Like, you know, you can always talk them down in price. Yeah, I love doing the garage sale thing. I love doing the estate sale thing. I think that those with retail arbitrage are probably my like, that just makes me happy. I love doing that stuff. So if I, my thought was if I could do that for the rest of my career, that would just be like a dream come true. Now that's what we do. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's just, there's lots of options. I mean, just like what we've said, and it's just really finding what works for you. What works for you in New York might not work for me in Arizona. But it's like there's just so so much opportunity with all these different ways to source your items. There's no excuse why people say, I can't find things to resell. There are plenty of places to get it. You have to just figure it out, trial and error. Like with us, with online arbitrage, we just realized it wasn't working. We weren't finding the right items. They were sitting there. Our capital was sitting there. They weren't selling for what we wanted them to sell for. Like we have an idea of like how much profit we want to make per item. Our bread and butter is going to be thrifting. That's where we're going to find the items that, you know, we can meet that goal of what profit we want to make per item. And let's talk about this next one, which Casey and I have tried. And we did a couple YouTube videos on it on our freeway flippers. We had a, a guy who was helping build our casita and he buys mystery boxes of Amazon returns from the sky in Phoenix. And he buys them for either 50 or $60 a piece. So we told him we wanted to try it and we wanted to buy a few from him. We spent $210 on four boxes and we opened them and it was a bunch of junk. Like it was all private label returns. Half the stuff was broken. Things that we would never be able to resell on Amazon. Half of it not on eBay. I think what we would have to do is take that stuff and do our own garage sale and try to get a couple dollars per item back. There's Amazon return boxes. We tried restock, which they advertise that they're Amazon non-sold items. So not returns. 
items that haven't sold. So Hmm. my thing is a private label seller. They were all private label products. They were probably from sellers who maybe their accounts got shut down or they just had to liquidate their stuff because their items weren't selling. Nothing was name brand. I think we sold two items and there were close to 50 in the box. Oh my gosh. We got it for free in exchange for a YouTube video. And people were saying, oh, they pick everything for the influencers. They pick all the good stuff. And I'm like, well, if that's the case, I I want a new box because there wasn't <laughs> anything in there that I was even excited about. I mean, yeah. we had a Brazilian butt pillow, <laughs> just random things. There was like a fly fan where you would put it out and it was like a in like a cone shape with a fan on top or the blade. And you put that when you go when you're outside, maybe camping, it's supposed to keep the flies away, like a little cat notebook. There was a bunch of stuff, but it was all junk to me. So a lot of people say, well, that's where I get some of my inventory. I don't know if I would choose those. I just, uh, the Amazon returns, I'm just not a fan of. There's nothing good. There's nothing that, I mean, those people are making money. They're buying them cheap from Amazon. They're putting the stuff in boxes and they're they're just reselling it. That's what they're doing. And then resellers like us, we're stuck with the product. I've got like five boxes in the outbuilding of junk that I can't even sell on any marketplace. Yeah. I think that happens a lot with like the clothing mystery boxes as well. I know that there are like a small handful of people who do like mystery slash not so mystery boxes. In general, I would say it's not a great idea to like do that unless you're doing it for like, you know, to review the on the YouTube channel or whatnot, you know, you got those for free, but I mean, your review was honest. I watched that video and you were honest about it. We don't want to lead people astray. What I feel is best. If you need to purchase like bulk inventory like that, you want to find somewhere that you can buy a bulk amount of items, like a bulk amount of clothing or box of clothing but have like a manifested list so you know what you're getting if mm-hmm. it's amazon you want like some of those companies that will send you stuff that you can sell on amazon they'll even put like the asin in the in, in the manifest along with like the upc the item description all that stuff so if you can find one of those that's the best so then you can really do your research and as far as clothing I would say manifested again, still best way to go. Yeah. The mystery boxes are tough because you don't, you don't know what you're going to get. And why should I rely on somebody else choosing what they think I should resell? Like I would have never picked any of those items that we got. None of them. Like I would have, I wouldn't even have paid like $2 for each of them. Like I would have been like, no, because I can't resell it. Like it's not an item that I would even invest my time in. There are some reseller boxes on eBay where people will say, okay, and they put them on auction a lot of times, but maybe they'll start the auction at $25 plus $40 shipping or whatever. And there's going to be this box and you're going to get 20 shirts and they could be this brand, this brand, this brand. I don't know. I mean, that is a good way to find quick inventory, but it might not be the best inventory unless you know exactly, like you said, some of the companies have the manifest and you're, you know exactly what you're going to get. You can do your own, own research and maybe those are brands that you buy all the time and know that you can resell, or maybe you have a niche store and you sell on eBay and maybe you sell all camping 
clothing. Well, then yeah. if somebody has a box where you're going to get North Face and Columbia and all those different hiking brands, maybe that is a good option for you. But in our case, the mystery box, that was just an epic fail. Yeah. Here's my final thought on the whole mystery box thing. If it's actually going to be good, profitable inventory, then why not just show what it is to whoever's buying it? Mm -hmm. The reason that it's a mystery box is because they're throwing junk in it or Mm -hmm. mixing it in junk with some decent stuff because they're trying, whoever is selling it is trying to get rid of it. And they don't want you to know that you're getting junk. You know, they, they don't want you to know that they're trying to offload this stuff onto you that they can't get rid of themselves. That's my personal opinion. If it, I get that it can be kind of fun, you know, to not know what you're getting and everything like that. But the reality is if, if it was really that great of a deal, if, they're, if the person's really trying to help you out, then it wouldn't be a mystery. They would just tell you what the heck is in the ding box spend your money wisely, especially if you don't have a ton of cash flow built up. I'd rather take my $25, $100, $200, whatever it is, and know what I'm purchasing because I know that I can make better decisions and flip those items and make the profit that I need to make on it. So those are end thoughts on mystery boxes. It's time for another What's in Our Reseller Toolbox. In this segment, we share the latest tips and tools to help you build and grow your reselling business. Let's find out what tool we have for today. All right, right now it is time for another segment called the Reseller Toolbox. In this segment, we are going to talk about Fox liquidation. This is something that Ashley actually showed me. This is a good one to know. So we just got done talking about how The only time we would ever buy something is if there was a manifest tied to the items that you were going to purchase. So this is box liquidation and you can go on and you can actually see what you're going to buy. And the manifest is actually online to look at before you make that purchase. This fits right in, like you said, with what we were talking about before. I think that also on their website, when you first go to it, foxliquidation.com, if you put your email address in, and that little pop-up that comes up, they'll give you 5% off, like a code for 5% off your first order. So that's pretty cool. Um, They have a lot of like ladies apparel, men's apparel, suits, um, stuff like that, shoes. I saw some like kitchenware last time I looked at it. They're pretty reasonable as well. One thing that you just want to double check and make sure about when you order from sites like these is the shipping costs. Make sure that, you know, it's not an insane amount. Like I forget what site it was when I first started reselling. I was all excited. I found this great palette of clothing, like women's clothing, and I was about to buy it. And then I saw that the shipping was like $500. It was more than like the palette was. Like, uh, I don't think so. From everything that I've heard, I've talked to a couple of people that have used Fox liquidation before. Um, I think that she bought a couple of free people palettes, actually. The shipping is pretty reasonable for, you know, what they're doing here. So it's definitely more of a trustworthy site. Um, it gives you the manifest, reasonable prices, and so far, so good. All the reviews are positive that we've heard of. Yeah, I think one thing I like about it, just looking at it, is they'll give you the cost of how much that is going to cost. Mm -hmm. And then the total retail average cost per unit boxes and pallets. So if you are starting to resell, one thing to think about is can you receive pallets? I know the first house we bought here in Apache Junction, we could not get a semi to our residence. 
So we would not be able to buy something like this that was on pallets. For the current home we're in, we can actually get pallets delivered to us, even though we're, we're a residence. And then sometimes you do have to pay extra for those shipping charges. So keep that in mind. This website, the Fox Liquidation, does give you all the information that you need to decide if that's going to be something that will benefit you to purchase versus some of the other places where they're just mystery boxes and it's just going to be a wild card of what you get and it's like Christmas morning. You open the box and what you get is what you get, which sometimes is not the best thing as a reseller. All right, back to episode number eight on finding items to resell. One of the options for you could be wholesale or distributors. We have done this in the past. We actually had a local company that sold grinders and we ended up wholesaling for them. So what we did was we worked out a deal we would buy X amount and they had a wholesale price for us and then we would sell those on Amazon. So that was one way that we could get inventory. Another way is to just go onto Google and search wholesale distributors. This is really important if you're selling on Amazon, especially FBA. Sometimes when you first start selling on Amazon, you are what is called gated in an item. When you first start selling, you will not be able to sell in the grocery department. You will not be able to sell Starbucks. So we went to a wholesale website, cannot remember, let me think of what it was. I don't know if, I think it might've been Vista Cost was the Mm -hmm. website. And that's where they're like a wholesale website online. You have to purchase at least 10 items of a certain product. And then you take that invoice and submit it to Amazon and you can get ungated to sell. So you get permission to sell that particular product. So we use these like instant Starbucks coffee It was a pack of like 12, but we bought 10 of them. And then the invoice, we were able to get ungated in Starbucks and ungated in groceries. So we were able to sell it. But those are just really good places to buy multiple items. We've talked already about going and doing retail arbitrage, which sometimes when you're going out and doing that, you have to go to multiple stores to find like a specific item. So maybe it was like back in the day when it was uh, the LeBron weedy cereal and everyone was running out to Walmart and trying to find them. And maybe you went to one Walmart and there was only two of them. Then you had to go to another Walmart and try to try to scoop them up. With wholesale, you're buying more in bulk. So you look at an item online, try to find that item, see if it's good to resell and then buy maybe 25 to 50 of them. And then those items, be- they become what's called replenishables. So you know that those items sell, you can keep ordering them through wholesalers, and that's just a good way to find inventory. Sometimes you can go and find uh, wholesalers that have a brick and mortar store and go in and talk to them. But a lot of times you'll find them online, and it's just a good way to find inventory and find it in bulk. So you're not having to go out and run around to five different targets trying to find that one item that you're looking for. And it's good for people that might might not have as much time to devote to reselling. The last thing that we wanted to talk to you guys about is doing storage auctions. So I've only been to one of these in the past, and it was pretty exciting. Um, I've also watched that show, Storage Wars, on I think it's like Hulu or Netflix or whatever. Parents have gone to storage auctions before as well, many times. It's definitely exciting. It can be a little intense, especially if you 
uh, are kind of new to that whole thing. It's also kind of a gamble, like back to the mystery boxing. If everything is boxed up, packed up, you kind of have to have like a gut feel. It's, you know, it's, it's a gamble. Th- it's kind of like mystery boxes. It's a gamble. Yeah. Unless things are like out in the open and you can actually see what you're getting. Again, total gamble. And one of the things that I wanted to mention really fast is you need to be able to have the space and the means to be able to haul this stuff away. Many years, it was just me and my little Subaru WRX, and I didn't have access to a pickup truck. My dad lives five hours away from me. So if I wanted to go bid on a storage auction and there were like mattresses and bed frames and filing cabinets and all kinds of stuff, there's no way. Well, you can run a U-Haul, but then that's more expense that you're going to pay towards it. So you're not just paying for the storage unit. You're paying for a U-Haul or whatever to be able to do that. So yeah, you really have to have like, we just bought a small pickup and we eventually want to get like a trailer, a haul behind trailer that we can use to go and pick up larger items. So that's a good point that you definitely have to have a, a way to get the items out of the storage unit and then a place to store them as well. I'm going to touch on this, the muscle power. Me by myself, not a lot of muscle power. You and Casey, and you guys have, you know, a good group of people around. You have our roommate too, who he's helpful and stuff like that. You guys have a little, um, little bit of muscle power over there. I didn't have that. So (laughs) now I do, but we we just don't have the space right now to be able to, you know, get rid of that stuff and store it and whatnot. But um, yeah, it's definitely a good option if you have some storage space, if you have the muscle, if you have the ability to haul it away. Um, yeah, you can get some really good deals there for really, really cheap. Yeah, there's a, uh, a guy I follow on Twitter. I had to look up his handle. He's Patrick Scott Patterson. And he is a previous like professional wrestler <laughs> turned reseller. His handle is at original PSP. But he does storage units like that's one of his bread and butters. He's I think in Texas. And I've always asked people, like, where do you like to source your inventory just to see where people are, are sourcing it? And he's like, oh, I love the storage units. And he's very successful. I know he's found stuff with, like, a lot of, like, sports cards and things like that. But, I mean, there are people that that's kind of how they find their inventory. That's what they mainly do. So make sure you follow him. He's always posting stuff, and he's pretty entertaining. That's awesome. All right, so hopefully that was useful for you to find items to resell. There are a lot of ways that you can find inventory. Like we said before, just make sure that you're finding places in your area that you can go to that makes sense. If you don't have a lot of time, maybe online arbitrage would be good, but just always keep an open mind. Always be trying new ways to find inventory, and that will help you be successful in the long run. All right, guys, that's a wrap on today's episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Paycheck to Daycheck Reselling Podcast. Anything we mentioned in this episode will be linked down below in the show notes or description down below. Be sure to share this episode with anyone you think it will help and follow us on social media at P2D Podcast. Thanks again for listening. Keep working towards that daycheck.